0: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today, we have an interview with Aaron Edelheit, and we talk about Nelnet. I guess it's a good time to disclose that we and our clients in the Arch Capital Portfolio own Nelnet. At this so time, because you, you are, know, you
1: could be listening to this three years from now or whatever, but at the time of recording, yeah. Yeah. So you're
0: going to probably hear some bias uh, from us, and I believe Aaron does as well. So um, yeah, they just, just know we own it. But any highlights from the interview?
1: Yeah. So we know the business well, and there wasn't some of the stuff you know i'd already known before but if you're listening you'll figure it out he really explains the business well but the one thing that he explained was the solar investments so the company and if you're an investor you might be kind of worried about what they're doing they're like oh they're pouring all this money into solar investments nothing's coming out right now you're like why are they making these investments i'm not seeing any earnings show up but he kind of explains like look they've done this before whatever kind of uh, they have a history of doing things like this to um Make these heavy upfront investments. He kind of explains all that. And that kind of framed that part of the business a lot better than I had before. So that was probably my favorite, but either way, uh, the huddle part, where if you know that business, anyone that knows high school football knows about huddle, they own part of it. So that's the most exciting one to hopefully draw in some uh, listeners.
0: I'd also say we always sort of ask ask them where uh, listeners can find Aaron, but I I really do recommend going to his Substack because you and I read it every time there's something else that comes out, something new.
1: Exactly. And, and he's, free.
0: he's one of the investors that we look to for inspiration on ideas all the time. So uh, we we really like him, uh, uh, but you'll you'll see for yourself. Before we get to the interview, I want to talk about our friends, our sponsor, Quarter. They are a comprehensive investor relations app. I'm find, trying to find the right way to describe them. But... Earning season
1: is upon us. So, well, it's a startup, so they're evolving. You know, it's going to get better and better over time.
0: That's right. And uh, if you are listening to conference calls or if you're reading conference call transcripts, anything like that, this is the time to download Quarter. I don't know how you could get through an earning season without them. Now that I have them, it's incredibly easy to listen to your conference calls. You can just plug it in on your drive, uh, maybe on the walk. You can listen to it at two times speed. Um, and if you, uh, for anyone that's watched on YouTube, we've got a banner hanging up
1: next to us here. With, They're very uh, nice. They, uh, they helped yeah, you get a nice... Uh, accessory for the studio and it looks great. All
0: right. uh, And then just a reminder, it's quarter Q U A R T R. They also added something new, which I'm pulling up right now. You can, uh, I believe you can clip, you can save audio clips. Am I getting that right?
1: Or or you can timestamp it and ask questions about it. It's evolving, but you know, uh, it's a way to give feedback on a conference call to management teams and hopefully you know, get a better conversation between investors and companies.
0: Yeah, and we are seeing the hubbub of the company uh, grow before our eyes on Twitter. You can <laughs> see how many people are using the app. Uh, it's 100% free. Go download it on iOS or Android. Uh, it's Q-U-A-R-T-R No E. You can also follow them on Twitter at quarter underscore app. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right. Today we are welcomed by Aaron Edelheit. Uh, he is now two-time guest of the show, I believe. He came on and talked about the French lottery company last time. Uh, I think that was almost a year ago now. But today we're talking about Nelnet. Uh, listeners may have heard us speak about it before. Uh, but before we get into Nelnet, you recently or are about to uh, launch a fund. Do you kind of want to talk about what that is and
2: maybe give listeners? Yeah, sure. A uh, I'm launching a uh, fund that's dedicated to invest in uh, the cannabis sector, specifically publicly traded stocks that are focused on the u s. cannabis sector. And I believe just a quick summary, you have a hundred billion dollars revenue market where most of the sales are illegal today, maybe twenty five billion are legal. and it's going to two hundred billion over the next ten years, uh, possibly more. Um, and most of it's going to be legal. And the problem is because of the the difference between federal and uh, state legality, if you touch the plant in the US, you have to trade, you can't trade on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. And so these stocks trade on secondary and tertiary Canadian exchanges. So they have limited uh, liquidity and they can be volatile. And I'm basically launching a fund to take advantage of the fact that you can buy buy companies with uh, ten years plus growth ahead of them with substantial economic moats that are trading for five and six times uh, unlevered next year's cash flow. Right. Some and, of them growing triple digits.
1: And then the great thing about your uh, investment style is you like to write publicly about it. And you wrote, I think, in conjunction with this, something called the cannabis investing manifesto. Where where could someone find that to learn more about you know cannabis? Yeah,
2: they they can find it on my Substack. Uh, which is mindsetvalue.substack.com or they can go to mindsetcapital.com. Uh, it's in the report section and maybe you can include a note in the, in the if you have show notes or something. But it's, uh, yeah, I basically wrote, uh, one of the main things is I just wanted to highlight the opportunity to investors. I don't see a lot of peer, my peers investing in the cannabis space um, and I'm just calling out the opportunity which um, I think that if you married the right long-term uh, capital uh, to this and didn't worry about the volatility that over the next five or ten years you're going to produce some pretty uh, amazing returns
0: one more question before we talk move to now that uh, what is the structure of the fund is this like a private partnership or is it... yeah it's
2: just a private partnership okay uh, for accredited investors okay.
0: All right, let's move to Nelnet. Um, So it's, I guess, a mini conglomerate. Um, So could you maybe describe some of the parts of the business? And it's sort of unique in its position now with the melting ice cube. So can you describe kind of how they got to where they are now?
2: Yeah, so uh, Nelnet was uh, started uh, to invest and service uh, student loans. Student loans are one of the safest assets to buy. Um, As an investor, they're like 98% backed by the federal government, at least the ones that are not uh, private loans. And so um, Nelnet went public, I want to say like 17 years ago, um, basically primarily focusing on not only owning student loans, uh, a large book of student loans, um, but also to service loans um, for the government and, and for private lenders. And Over the years, they have used that, those cash flows uh, coming off their student loan book um, and coming from their servicing business to invest in a bunch of really interesting businesses. I call Nelnet the quiet uh, technology compounder um, because when you look at it, it looks like a financial services company. It looks like a student loan company. Um, but it's actually a technology company. Um, and what they're specifically doing is they're taking, in, in my view, the Berkshire Hathaway model of using insurance to fund all these investments into companies and investments, um, but using insurance as that vehicle to generate cash flow. Um, but, but what Nelnet's doing is using student loans, so now, what you have with NelNet is they have this large student book that's now in runoff, um, and you know billions of dollars of cash flow are coming back to their uh, are going to come back to their um, uh, to their balance sheet, um, and you have uh, basically you have a, a payment uh, processing for K through 12 schools in a boring division called Nelnet Business Services. This is the other, the big thing when I talk about them being quiet, they are anti-promotional. You, We were talking before the interview and the CEO, you've never seen a video with him. Uh, they don't hold quarterly conference calls. They have a, a boring division called Nelnet Business Services and you'd never know that they help the payment processing and software for K through 12 private schools. They have 40% market share. And so, you know, pre-COVID, they were growing at 20 or 25% a year with 25% EBITDA margins. um, And I expect that to resume. You kind of had a little hiccup with COVID and school not being in session and everything, but it's really interesting. Their quarterly numbers will be coming out. And, um, you know, there has been a big surge into enrollment in private schools because of COVID and all the problems around that. Um, And so I'm expecting to see some really positive uh, uh, comparison to last year, but also some some real uh, interesting, I'm hoping to see a lot of positive uh, numbers there in the next couple of quarters. Uh, But you have this incredible payments business, and you just look around on Wall Street and the valuations that people pay for payments companies, uh, especially if you have the market share uh, that um, uh, that Nelnet has, and so that's one investment. They also used to own this fiber uh, network uh, division. They monetized about half of it to a private equity uh, company. They have about forty five percent of that, and it's growing uh, pretty fast. Um, they also own twenty uh, percent of Huddle, uh, which is a, a basically is this incredible company no one's ever heard of at least in the no one talks about in investment circles um which basically helps video analysis um you know social media posting of highlights of basically all high school college any kind of sports uh um you know nhl football etc basketball um and they just have like a lock on the market And um, I believe that that investment is going to be very, very valuable. Uh, One of the things that's really been interesting is they're getting heavily into renewable energy, um, basically originating financing uh, renewable energy projects. Um, And again, I think they're following the student loan playbook where they have a lot of experience uh, kind of investing upfront and then setting up a long stream of cash flow payments and so can you imagine you're a high school, you're a college, do you are you really do you really know what you're doing with a solar project or to to uh, lower your energy costs and make your campus more green now net can come in and basically help you with uh, soup to nuts um, and in the meantime fund everything and then have a long stream of cash flows uh, and you're you're seeing them grow that very rapidly. Um, and then they have another, uh, you know, they've also have a bank uh, that they've started very quietly. And the underlying story here is that you have kind of master capital allocators who are using this income stream um, and these cash flows of student loans to make wonderful investments and grow businesses and business lines over time and it shows in that they went public and it was very exciting when they went public of student loans it trade it went public at eight times book now they trade at one times book and the book value has basically grown over 17 percent a year compounded annually for 17 years and it's just a remarkable remarkable number And, uh, I believe, you know, the stocks are like 84, uh, book value should end the year in the high seventies, like 78, $79 a share. And, um, uh, by the end of next year, it's just on the track that they're doing and their earnings, it should be in the high eighties and you look at a net asset value, and it's to in my humble estimation, it's at least $130 a year, and that's compounding at like 15 to 20% a year, could could go faster depending on uh, the value they're accruing. And so to me, I just find the, the management is exceptional. During COVID, uh, uh, the stock plunged and management jumped in, and in one quarter alone, bought back four percent of the entire company. And so it's this—it's this—this really uh, um, wonderful management team that understands what they're doing, is not promotional in any way, shape, or form, and they're just—they're just generating tremendous amounts of value, and that you're just not—you're just not seeing that you're starting to see it reflect in the stock price um, and you're going to start seeing it more and more because the book value is starting to grow uh, basically fast you know for a while it was like well it's a finance company that trades at a premium to book why you know why should it? but now and this is part of the reason i've been writing about it and telling people is it's just a pretty amazing story uh, that not many people have talked about. And can, so,
1: you know, the thesis is strong capital allocator, capital allocators trading at a huge discount to say, you know, either, well, what the future book value or be or current intrinsic value. Can you explain for anyone that may be confused about stuff like this? Anyone that's not, you know, uh, doesn't know all the finance terms, what will you mean by how, like they're, you know, they have the software and payments company that, is not really getting accounted for and the huddle investment, how that's not getting reflected like in the current either book value or intrinsic value, maybe give some reference to some of the numbers. there.
2: Yeah. So just, as an example, if they, you know, it's, it's possible that this software, the, the payments, uh, now net business services, if this was just its own company and it was publicly traded, and it was called something really cool, like Stripe yeah. or... No vowels. You know, can't have a vowel on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, just something really exciting. Um, and it was its own business. And it had 25% EBITDA margins and a lock of 40% uh, market share um, of the K-12 through market. And it was growing like this that it would get some crazy uh, multiple of that and you know this is a company that is gonna be doing you know somewhere depending on the recovery in private schools you know like 75 80 million dollars of EBITDA. so uh, you know I look at you know Nell and if I just uh, look up it today, you know the market cap is three billion dollars. And, you know, you're looking at a company in today's market that the the payments business by itself is uh, possibly a $2 billion market, uh, market cap, you know, depending, you know, and so that's hidden inside in this boring division called Nelnet Business Services. And meanwhile, Nelnet is also sitting on this massive student loan book that's probably worth, you know... I don't know, another billion and a half, you know, dollars. Um, and then the other pieces. So part of what we're talking about is, you know, book value is kind of like a, uh, it's more of an accounting term. It's a, it's a conservative way to value, uh, you know, the difference between the assets and the liabilities. Um, and that that's growing is just showing that they're producing value and cash flows. Um, but if you were to, if you, if the three of us were to somehow magically buy or take control of Nelnet and our job was to slice and dice it, the net asset value of what we describe is what would be today's market value. Um, and I'm guessing we would get a very pretty penny for Nelnet Business Services and the, the student loan book and for the different pieces of the pie. And that's why there's a difference between kind of the stated accounting Book value, which is a very conservative estimate, and the net asset value. But the most important part of the Nelnet story is that all of these numbers have been growing for like 17 years through some 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 pretty hairy times, you know, and this is through the financial crisis, Um, and so and through COVID. Uh, So this is a management team that knows how to allocate capital, that knows how to protect investors' capital. And frankly, is some of the best capital allocators uh, that I've come across.
0: How did you go about valuing that? Did you do like some of the parts
2: or? Yeah, of- I, I've an, I, it's the best way to do it is just kind of some of the parts and try to make an assumption of what the different pieces are. And I have a report that I wrote uh, in 2020 that is a, a nice framework for at least how I'm thinking about things in, in breaking those pieces apart. But you could also use book value as a way of like, hey, what should this trade at? Um, I would argue that in that it's maybe not the right way to value a company with a bunch of technology, either businesses um, or divisions. I don't know of many. And that's one of the most fascinating things. Is like, we're talking about like what 1.1 times book value for what is essentially a technology company. Um, and that's part of the opportunity.
0: Would you, uh, would you rather see them take like a, the IAC approach of spinning off the businesses or do you like kind of this approach of just attacking on more and more
2: businesses? You know what I'm not going to do? I am not going to tell management what to do. Okay. I have not amassed a record of compounding value for 17% for 17 years. Um, and navigated, you know, this a uh, company and assets and investments the size they had through the Great Financial Crisis and through COVID. So that's one of the things is that the Management owns a big stake in the company. I want to say they own like forty percent. Um, and so I'm very happy with how they're navigating things. And I would encourage people to read their shareholder letters. Especially the most recent one from the annual letter. You will see the chairman Mike Dunlap has some very choice words for the (laughs) speculative nature of the market. And you have a very conservative management team, but they're 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 not too conservative. They're happy to move quickly and be aggressive when the risk reward is in is in their favor. And you see that over and over again, that they're ready to press the pedal when they see an opportunity, whether it's in their own stock or another investment.
1: Yeah. The the annual letter was fantastic. And I had a question. You said he didn't want to tell management what to do. So I'm going to frame this a little differently. This question we had here, all of the things that they invested in or are investing in right now, I think they outlay it in the annual letter, which is kind of nice They have a table and it was either, I think it was like 700 million or maybe a billion dollars invested last year, you know, dividends, buybacks, solar investments, venture investments, um, the business services, a few other things, what gets you most excited about where they're investing right now? Is it the bank, solar stuff, venture investments,
2: or just everything? Well, the thing I wrote the most recently about was Huddle. Because uh, I could know. see that if they were to go public, uh, this is a company that they're you know known that I could see, especially with the monetization of student-athletes, and that coll- collegiate athletes can now get paid. Um, well, you know, while they have like, I want to, uh, it's like 97 or 98% of all high school football, and they have like 80% of every, you know, high school soccer team in terms of market share. You think about the number of sports that are out there from wrestling, uh, track and field, I mean, you just name it. And are those being recorded, analyzed, uh, chopped, streamed, um, sliced and diced for highlights for social media? Um, and you just suddenly realize there is this massive opportunity for Huddle to dive right in it. And they're the principal way to play the monetization of student athletes, which will go down from college to high school, down even further, because if your goal is, to get into a college team and to get paid. Now that you can get paid, you don't even have to be a professional. Um, you know what TikTok has shown us and Instagram is that what happens when you incentivize, you know, uh, young people uh, to be creative? Well, it's hard to be creative without video these days or images, etc. And that's right into Huddle's um, hands and they have uh, offerings right now where you know coaches and teams can get cameras for free, and they just sign up for a subscription, and where you just set it up, you don't even need a person. And Huddle now makes the cameras to automatically track the action, to automatically stream it, to make it so it's you know basically anyone can do it. Um, and I just think that there are some massive, massive trends uh, for Huddle. And my Super Bowl case is that Nelnet's twenty percent stake in Huddle could be worth more than what Nelnet trades for right now.
0: What What do you think would have to happen for the for the market to kind of recognize? I, I imagine most people don't even know that it's there. Um, so I'm curious what would have to happen when it had to be like a Huddle IPO for people. Uh, it,
2: it could be an IPO. It, uh It could be a next round of fundraising where uh, they had one, uh, I want to say it was last year where they suddenly had to increase their book value by like three or $4 a share, which at the time was pretty big, it was in the 50s or 60s, just from the increase in value from Huddle. And, and, And so, you know, uh, they're being very coy, very, very, very quiet with what that's actually worth. But I can tell you is that um, Bain Partners and Excel, of, I think it's Excel uh, Ventures, yeah. very prominent uh, venture firms are invested in it. And I since I seriously doubt they're just going to sit on it forever. Um, and so whether that either IPOs or uh, gets sold to some company, I mean, you could see someone like Nike. Uh, buying them, or someone else. Um, you know, there's a lot of different options for how that could be realized. And then one day it'll just be like, oh wow, you know, that's like that. That's much larger, and it'll kind of. And this is in the Nelnet kind of spirit of things. Is for the longest time people wondered, why are you investing in a fiber network? Well, what do you know about fiber network? and, how, and Nelnet was just taking losses. Right. Because the way you build out a network is, you got to spend lots of capex and you take costs up front, and this is classic Melnet style. And then all of a sudden one day they announced, "Hey, a private equity firm is buying half our stake for every dollar we ever put into it and more, and we're going to retain forty-five percent equity." And then all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa, that's a great return!" <laughs> and it's that's just like a great example of well now that's doing and i think they're repeating the same thing in renewable energy so as the faster they grow in renewable energy okay. they're taking earnings hits and charges up front cuz again they don't care about the quarterly earnings they don't care uh, you know uh, there's no analysts following the stock there's no you know and so they're looking at the long-stream value they're seeing how they can compound um and keep growing and they see an opportunity and they're growing and when they press the gas when nelnet presses the gas on something you're uh, you you can be pretty certain that those returns are very attractive on a risk reward basis
1: yeah i haven't seen i forget what the number is but it was it's a lot bigger than you would expect how much they've invested in solar or whatever, it's renewables, I guess, it's not just solar, but in renewables. I think it might be, it's in the hundreds of millions, right?
2: Yeah, well, they just announced the deal. This is the craziest thing. I never thought I'd see some kind of crypto announcement with Nelnet. But Ripple basically announced a deal where they're partnering with Nelnet to do a $44 million renewable energy deal. And so they're, they're growing, They're and and they're going to produce a lot of value for shareholders. And again, it comes out and I throw out these catchphrases like payments, right, which is super sexy, Um, social media and video and like huddle with the market share that they have. You know, like super fast growing kind of like unicorn of a startup. And I talked to you about fast growing fiber optics and you talk about renewable energy and then you're like, wait, why does this trade slightly higher than book value? Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: I, know, I was, I was a little thrown, thrown off when I saw Ripple and I was like, this, this, you weren't alone.
1: Scene. You were no, not alone. Scared. I got a bit scared. I got a bit scared. I, one, one thing on a huddle, this is just quick and you, you may not have any information on this. Have you ever seen any numbers about revenue or anything come out for them? Cause I know they're kind of, secretive. I've, I've,
2: oh. they're super secretive. Uh, I've only heard whispers. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to share because I have no verification of what I've what I've heard.
1: Right. Yeah. There's nothing publicly that we found either. Yeah.
2: No. It, it's. It
0: seems like now that's management team has kind of rubbed off on Huddles. Uh, that's head.
2: exactly right. Because the other thing is, if you're Huddle, and you're grabbing these market, this market share, and you're acquiring companies left and right, like you were mentioning, the company that does the video before the what were you talking about? The, the, uh, the, well, Ryan, you
1: know, the name, yeah. Ryan, it's W
2: Y scout. So Y scout? Um, yeah. And like- so if you're huddle, they acquired that company. Right. Right. And, 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 remind me what sport or what, what are they focused on? They're like, they're basically the huddle model for professional soccer,
0: like around for the soccer.
2: World. Yeah, that's right. And so it's an international. So if you're huddle and you see this massive opportunity, and you can go and acquire these different verticals and different companies and different international. Are you going to be advertising to the world right. as to what you're doing? No, absolutely not. Not until you're really ready.
1: Yeah, and that's what I, they're doing.
2: I think it's funny
1: too, that they're both headquartered in Lincoln, Nebraska. So I think they really do have such a strong relationship.
2: Well, also the, the Huddle CEO is on uh, Nelnet's board. Right. Yeah, the, Nelnet. I'm pretty sure Nelnet was one of the first investors if anything, I can criticize Nelnet about it's that they should have invested more in Huddle. Huddle, yeah. <laughs> but it was but it was a venture investment, and for Nelnet, they're very conservative. And as much as they believed in it, they were like, "We're only going to put so much amount of money." I want to say that Nelnet also has, you know, dozens of other venture investments that I'm just I have no idea what what they could be worth.
1: Yeah, and I, for anyone that is interested, they they have as much as they've ever invested in that stuff, and I do not have the numbers in front of me, but they outline it. Just They don't say how much stuff is worth or net asset value or whatever, but they have how whatever they've invested over time into these venture investments. So you can check that out on their annual letter. And they have- Yeah, they
2: provide many- tremendous, to that point, they provide tremendous detail.
1: Yeah.
0: The, uh, and I don't want to get you too excited about Huddle, but uh, I they also own- <laughs> Crossover, which is the the basketball one for like I think it's like the high school and college basketball.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
0: Um, it's funny. Like whenever I talk about Nelnet with anybody, it just bores them. They kind of are falling asleep, and then you mention Huddle, and their head perks up because it's like a household name that people actually know. Anyone
2: that that
1: does that is that's exactly right.
2: The other thing that I would say is anyone who sends their kid to a private K through twelve school, that odds are they have Nelnet because Nelnet has 40% market share. Right. Anyone who sends a kid to Catholic, I, I wanna say their, their percentage of Catholic private schools, it might be hundred percent or it's in the nineties. Wow.
0: All right. Uh, so if
2: you're paying for private education for your kid, for, you know, odds are Nelnet, and if you're, pay, if you're sending your kid to a Catholic K through 12 school, you're using Nelnet, you just don't know it. You can, you can hedge your
0: tuition by buying non shares. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. I think we've got to hit a quick ad break, but we've got more questions in the back half. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit readkpmgus opportunities.
2: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home, and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning... Get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com.
0: Okay. Welcome back in. And we've kind of already touched about this, touched on this, but I wanted to talk about management and capital allocation. So what, I guess, what, uh, what are your thoughts on, Uh, I guess Dunlap and the other—I'm blanking on the CEO's um, name—generally. And then, what would happen? What would your? How would it impact your thesis if Michael Dunlap left?
2: I have a lot of respect for Michael Dunlap, but I think, and when I've communicated with him, he has been very fierce to say that the entire management team is very, very strong, and I believe with I believe him. Um, I would be more worried if you suddenly saw, not that him leaving, but him, for some reason, you started seeing like a lot of insider selling or something from him. Um, and that would communicate to me that something had changed, um, for, and I think that the value they have in their assets is so undervalued right now, um, based on the way that I've, uh, analyzed the company, um, But, you know, one day he'll leave and that's part of the Nelnet story is I actually think they have a pretty amazing uh, management team and Mike Dunlap has kind of led the way on that, but I don't think that he's necessarily critical um, to the growth of Nelnet from here.
1: Okay. And, uh, you know, as an investor you're looking at this company, it's a unique situation. You're not just looking at whatever, a simple income statement and saying, this is what this company is valued at. What specific metrics do you look at to evaluate whether Nelnet's business is executing well? Cause it's kind of hard, you know, you're just looking at yeah. value or, or whatever it is.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. But I think that's part of the opportunity is that if Nelnet was a simple story to analyze, or that you and I could plug it into a screening tool, it would suddenly pop up and Nelnet would not trade at the valuation that it trades at now. And I think that the weird financials, the giant student loan book, the servicing business um, kind of disguise these amazing businesses that Nelnet either runs or invests in. And so I think that that's the opportunity. Is that if you want to have a great investment, especially in a company with like a three billion dollar market cap, it's not like this is a micro cap. um, That there has to be something on it of why it's it's either not in an index or people aren't following it. And so that's part of the opportunity, and you know, an easy one to start out with is just what's book value per share. And how's that doing every quarter? And then to, to, you can go into their filings and look how the different divisions um, are growing or not growing. Right. Um, but admittedly, Nelnet is a difficult company to get your arms wrapped about, around. But therein lies the opportunity. And I think that's also why you wanna look at the longer term track record uh, of management.
0: Why is it just sort of the, I guess, secrecy that you think the market sort of overlooks it? Or is it just like the, I mean, they really are non-promotional. Is there anything else that makes you think the market? Well, I think
2: also because it's closely held, um, you know, it's not the most liquid stock. So you have to be comfortable with the fact that it, it doesn't trade very much. Uh, Just looking today, I think it's traded it traded around 50,000 shares. So, you know, that's another thing is that it's very, very, bo- it looks very boring, doesn't trade a lot of shares. Um, management doesn't hold conference calls. I, I think there's one analyst on it, but he doesn't do a very good job and you know is barely covering the stock. And so the company doesn't need money, doesn't have investment banks. That are going to cover it because they're not going to, they don't need their business. And so I think, you know, the, all of those things wrapped up together with the fact that most people are investing based on what, you know, what have you done for me lately and showing the excitement and um, being promotional and, and also how does it screen. Like, you know, it's a more difficult story to understand. All of those things come together, but I'm I'm seeing things start to change and people starting to take notice. I mean, you guys are a great example of like, once you start digging in and seeing the company, you're like, wait a minute, this is pretty good.
0: Right. I I almost feel too impatient for asking this, like, but do you think there is any upcoming sort of catalyst that could maybe drive more awareness or even drive, uh, I guess, finan- good financial performance for Nelma? Well, what, what I would go ahead
2: and say is the following, is we're at a point now where management has a history of buying back stock when the stock is below book value. And so briefly, I want to say it's like a month or two months ago, one of the former co-founder had passed away and his wife owned a bunch of shares and he had been selling. And Nelnet came in and it was like, I don't know, like a 25 cents below book value, but they they bought one back 1% of the company in one transaction, like two months ago at like 74. Um, and, you know, I think they're going to end this year at like $78, $79 in book value. I think next year they're going to end, uh, book value is going to be somewhere close to like $90 a share. It's pretty dialed in outside of any increases in valuation for huddle or whatever. And so I would turn it around and say not, not that there's, uh, there obviously could be catalysts in anything that they do. But if you just think about that upward pressure, that that book value is going to push on the stock, because if it falls from here, you know, management's going to buy spec stock. You know, they're going to deploy capital. And if it really falls, so you have some COVID or something else pop up, management's going to be incredibly aggressive, especially because the cash flows coming off of the student loan book are so overwhelming right now. So the company has the firepower to really. So, one of the things that I just see is this kind of, I love stocks that have this tailwind. When you just know that it's just going to be pushing an upward pressure, then you can always have, uh, you know, some kind of huddle announcement where it either gets new financing, where they have to mark up the stock, or it uh, goes public or gets acquired. You have um, some kind of update on their fiber networks. You could see acceleration in their uh, the net business services with their uh, um, the payments company. It could be growth and renewable energy or you could just see not much but the stock just goes up a little bit every day i'm not worried about the catalyst i'm worried about is management compounding value and growing their value are they being responsible with capital and the answer is yes
0: it's funny you think so much about the subsidiaries you almost forget about like the
1: billion and a half in cash they
0: get from the loans
1: is that i think it's exactly right is it a billion and a half over the next five years? Is that the number that? I,
2: I forget the exact number, but it's something like fifty dollars a share uh, of like cash flows. It's not. It, it's over the next like seven, eight years, but the next three years is going to be the bulk of the money, and they disclose this in the filings, and I recommend everyone look at it. But uh, you could have some large dividend payout. You could have some large. Tender. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're going to do with all of that cash flow that's coming off, um, and so you could see a lot of interesting things over the next 12 to 18 months. Again, uh, depending on um, what they what opportunities they have. So, kind of the best case scenario for us as shareholders is that they're in, that that despite this enormous cash that's coming down to the balance sheet. That they have found other places to put it, right? Because then you know that that money is going to be compounding at like fifteen to twenty percent a year. Um, but there are other ways that they, you know, again, they've treated shareholders well. Uh, they're fantastic capital allocators. I will leave it to them, and I am fairly confident at this price that I am uh, that the market is not uh, recognizing the value that's being built inside NailNet. I,
0: I think it's the easiest stock I've ever owned and and maybe the most boring, but it's just it's they constantly uh yeah. make decisions that I would want to make if I were the management team. Um uh, last question, I guess, unless Brett has another one. No, it was
1: probably a last question. Um uh,
0: if you were writing a pre-mortem for NailNet today, why would the investment do poorly over the next five, 10 years?
2: Um, that's a really good question. I would say that there always is the risk that uh, the government uh, gets involved or does there is some kind of regulatory uh, action on student loans that hasn't been disclosed. There's always been a worry or a hang up with Melnet that if the government Cancel student loans or student loan debts that that would somehow hurt the company. Um, but that's a misunderstanding because the, what the government actually would do is step in um, to buy to basically pay the student loan uh, uh, debt and that's becoming less of an issue as the student loan business goes and decline, but the stock has been hit before because of the servicing. Um, rumors of that taken away uh, I wrote about that and that all the competitors are leaving and it's like Nelnet and one or, one or two other companies that are left doing it um, but I would say is, let's say I was you know wrong on huddle that the the payments business I mean you can have disappointments in business right um, Fiverr Network you know that you could have all of these uh, investments and they just stop growing Um uh, and, and that, and, and that, that, that doesn't really accrue a lot of value, you know, and that you, the stock really doesn't go anywhere. I think that's maybe the big risk that I would think about is that we, we, the pain that now net business services doesn't really recover and continue on its growth post COVID for some reason. Um, that huddle isn't as exciting i think you need multiple things to kind of fail if i think about it um and that the stock really just doesn't go anywhere
0: right all right i think that's all the questions we have um one more time for listeners if they want to find your writing or anything like that where could they do that
2: no they can find me on twitter it's aaron value a-a-r-o-n and then value and then they can find i think it's the mindset uh, value Uh, Substack blog, and they can also go to mindsetcapital.com.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Uh, We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors, so anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners, Garage Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.